BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs in a true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, and on this episode, bite marks, arson patterns, blood spatter. How much science is actually in forensic science? We'll talk about the new podcast, CSI On Trial. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. You ever, you know, like when you eat a, a hot slice of pizza and you like burn like the roof of your mouth? Yeah. Like you said... I think I just burned my entire tongue. From your tea? From from my tea, like from the tip of my tongue all the way back to the um, the uh, tart Wonderful. taste buds. Would you like to show Lara and Toby how large your Yeti cup full of tea right. is? Look at this. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Oh. Yeah, it's big. It's like one of those yard beers. Remember we got that? Patreon it's, gave that It's to like us. a sports parent soccer sideline. It's huge. Yeah. We went to a conference and Patreon invited us to an event and they gave us gift bags with these like 60 ounce Yeti cups. And I was initially like, this is a super nice gift. But then I was like, what the hell is that? What someone need this? I sex? probably don't need to have boiling hot water stay hot. It doesn't yeah. even fit right? in a cup holder in my car. That's well, like, no, sure it does. That part not right in there. my oh, cup holder. Oh, not your car? Oh, I guess you gotta get a new car. Because my car is European, and they don't believe in giant drinks in Europe. Fuck also Europe. with us is private investigator, <laughs> certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. I don't have a giant cup, but I did, in fact, burn my hand because I touched a um, pan that I pulled out of the oven tonight. So, Kevin, solidarity. Yeah. Oh, you're like one of those scenes in a TV show when someone reaches into the oven and grabs a pan with their bare hand. And you're like, what the fuck? No one ever does that in real life. You're that person. Well, no, I, it was it was actually like a skillet. I was cooking haddock piccata and I'm a paranoid about not having my fish cooked. So I always pop it in the oven for like five minutes to make sure it's cooked through. Uh-huh. And it was out on the stove. And then I went to grab the handle and went, oh, shit. <laughs> you forgot. It's like, what was it? The woman across the street from the girl in the window? Yes. She kept yeah. grabbing the casserole. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And mm-hmm. finally, our captain of all things cynical. I can't wait for the end of his epic introduction. The author <laughs> of the City <laughs> Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. What is your anecdote? Uh, I haven't 
harmed myself by accident at all this. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Do you have a big cup? So, yeah, I don't even have a big cup. I got nothing. Wow. I got nothing for you. What I what I do have though, uh, I, I've been trying not to like just lay the uh, Strange Arrivals promo on too thick. But uh, do it. if you haven't been listening because you're not interested in UFOs, but you do like true crime, the episode that drops this Wednesday is the beginning of a three episode little story that is very true crimey. Mm. So this might be your uh, entree into the world of Strange Arrivals. If you should so choose. All right. The alien butler did it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Is it like uh, the alien owl situation or something? Uh, no, it's it's really, it's about uh, unethical uh, research that was being done by this one guy. And he really, he probably victimized a bunch of people, but it, but it sort of centers around this one mm-hmm. woman and her relationship with this uh, this researcher and it goes very, very dark. All right. So I have a quick question for you before we start the show. Close Encounters, sure. right? Yes. Obviously, classic yep. Steven Spielberg film. There's a scene where Richard Dreyfus, in his mind, I guess, is imagining the place where he will, I guess, walk into the spaceship. Spoiler alert. That movie came out in fucking 1984 or whatever. So no spoilers. Right. Because the extended director's but edition. He's, so like Devil's Tower? Yes. He's at the dinner table yep. with his wife, Terry Gar. The mashed potatoes? And he, and he turns the mashed potatoes into Devil's Tower. What was going on in that scene, Toby? I've always wondered that. I've never understood it. What was going on there? Were the aliens implanting a vision of where the government facility was? Like, what was happening in that scene? Do tell. Uh, so I haven't seen this in about 20 years, but my memory <laughs> is that, you know, there's a whole bunch of people who end up at Devil's Tower. So I think the idea is he had that sort of brief encounter when he was at the beginning, when he's driving in his little utility yep. truck and a close those, encounter, those uh, UFO things go by him. And I think the idea is that is that he gets in his mind this, you know, vision of this place and... So does uh, the woman whose child gets abducted and I guess all these other people and they're they're all like sort of become obsessed with it. And then when he sees where it is, he's like, I got to go there. So I think that's it. It's like some kind of message. Gotcha. Gotcha. The child abduction scene in that movie, by the way, is terrifying. What Mm. what do you mean? In Close Encounters? In the beginning? Yeah. You've never seen that movie? Oh, I have. Where they're in that yeah. house and the, the, like, like a, and the little, the monkey, yes, the yes, little yes, monkey yes. toy starts. It's yeah. like straight up poltergeist. It's very scary. It is. I understand that Spielberg, like he did something like they just like filmed the kid's reaction. And he didn't know what was going to happen. So like off camera had like a little clown came out and then the clown's head fell off. Oh, and then it. like it did like all sorts of weird <laughs> things to like generate different emotions. Spielberg is like weird with kids. He's always playing out his own like parents divorce scenario in every movie. Yeah. And then guess what? In real life, his parents actually fucking got back together. It's so stupid. That's because the mashed potatoes are so great. <laughs> Steven Spielberg believes honestly that his parents are the only parents in the world who ever got divorced. That is true. <laughs> anyway. Did he watch The Parent Trap? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I think we should talk about the podcast we're here to talk about. So do you guys want to get into it? Why not? Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, let's... you didn't ask me what's coming up on Thursday's show. Oh, that's right, Kevin. Before we do that. What is coming up on Thursday's program? I don't know. <laughs> uh, coming up on Thursday's show, we're going to be talking about the podcast from KCUR and the NPR Midwest Newsroom. It's called Overlooked. It's a public radio one. It is. All right. Looking forward to that. 
Now can we drop the first clip of the podcast we're talking about tonight? Do it. Let's do it. Drop that first clip right now. But what I discovered is that many methods of forensic science used to build criminal cases aren't just imperfect, but irresponsible and unscientific with profound impacts on human lives. Before his exoneration, Keith Harward was sentenced to death for a 1982 rape and homicide. The evidence erroneously used to convict him was a bite mark, a technique that relies less on science and more on interpretation. Yet juries often take as gospel forensics based on expert opinions and not peer-reviewed findings. Right now, today, prosecutor can come into court and use this technique that has convicted at least 33 people wrongfully, centuries of wrongful conviction, still admissible today. There's now a growing scrutiny of techniques like blood spatter, footwear analysis, and arson detection, long accepted as reliable yet responsible for many wrongful convictions. And efforts to establish meaningful standards to the disciplines are met with resistance from the prosecutors who rely on them. Even though he left a fingerprint that matched his left thumb in the victim's blood at the scene, and even though a forensic odontologist matched a bite mark on the victim's chest to the defendant, and the 32 caliber revolver recovered from his jacket pocket was ballistically matched to the projectile in his daughter's head, it's just right now the case is too thin to proceed and I won't be able to prosecute. Please. CSI On Trial from iHeart and School of Humans examines the veracity of the most common forensic techniques like ballistics and pattern analysis, as well as misapplied findings of arson and shaken baby syndrome. Host Molly Herman uses the stories of those freed after wrongful convictions and those still behind bars because of shaky science. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from CSI on trial. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Kevin, when I was listening to this podcast, I just kept thinking this feels like it could have come out five plus years ago. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it would probably have a different impact a couple of years ago before other like high profile documentaries and podcasts that examine this issue about the unseen unreliability of these techniques you know like i for example i was not convinced that like ballistics were suspect when i heard like the first episode of in the dark and it took me a while to come around to that and other other things like that bite marks total fucking bullshit may as well just say it but I think this will probably have a real impact for TV viewers. I mean, I think the thing that maybe you pick up on uh, is that the source material for this is a TV series that's um, by the host. So it feels a little sterile in that sense because it does feel like someone said, hey, why don't we repurpose all this stuff? We'll just remove all the reenactments and we'll just you know use all the the interviews with these people and we'll, we'll make a podcast out of it. So I think for people watching the TV show, because that audience doesn't tend to dive into the same, they're, they're fed like the steady diet of cops get the right guy and the system is great and that's their thing. So to hear something that challenges that might be novel for the TV audience, for the sophisticated true crime audience that's been listening to things for many, many years, some of this is is well trod ground. Or reading a newspaper or I any a news- book. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean that's my whole It's thing. an attitude change, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a, right, Laura? Well, like, it was so, um, I don't want to, but there was parts that were so dumbed down that I was like, 
It's like, let's explain how firearms examination works. A bullet leaves a gun and there's a mark on the bullet. And then they take it into the lab. I'm like, oh, my fucking word. Like, are you kidding me right now? To me, I mean, I just feel like this was like a primer for students that might be in college taking a class on some sort of criminal investigations or something. But anybody that has followed any case has heard about most of these things. I mean, there were a few things that were a little more interesting, but for the most part, you know, between it being information that was presented, I'm going to just say with no personality, you said sterile, I say no personality because it was very like fact-based, but also cases that we've already heard, you know, like we know Ted Bundy had crooked teeth and that bite mark evidence isn't reliable. It just, yeah, there was some cases they used that were interesting and they definitely led in with cases that were more well-known like OJ, Ted Bundy, and then they'd zoom into a case that maybe was lesser known that was a case that they could relate this to. But To me, it was done in a way that it didn't feel like storytelling so much as, again, like something if I was like going to school, this would be presented as a lecture to me. Hmm. So, Toby, one of the things that I was thinking about was the sort of lack of depth of analysis. So I'm thinking about, for instance, for me, and I'm just curious to know which episodes did this for you, but like the Shaken Baby episode, right? which there is a lot of very interesting stuff around shaken baby syndrome, which the podcast didn't tackle, which, for instance, Innocence Projects, for example, don't have a lot of women convicts as cases because there's a lot of not not a lot of DNA evidence because a lot of women are in prison for murder, for killing their own kids, for things like shaken baby syndrome, which is a bullshit like thing. Um, It disproportionately affects people of color, shaken baby syndrome. There's a lot of sort of stuff that's there. What we got instead was this syndrome came about when women started going to work and movies like Mrs. Doubtfire and Mr. Mom came out. And all of a sudden people were feeling guilty and weird about leaving their kids alone. And there was, it was like, it was a very light sort of weird, like broad analysis about our fears around kids without getting into like, real impact of what shaken baby syndrome has done like broadly this is the era of movies like mr mom and working girl women and mothers moving into corporate america in record numbers and the number of daycare facilities was rising too along with the guilt parents were supposed to feel about leaving their young children with quote-unquote strangers if i was arguing with my drunk uncle at thanksgiving about this, like I might just send him this episode and be like, listen to this dummy, like, to get, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it didn't really get into what I would need to think of as like the next level, like learning any like more kind of situation. Did anything strike you as particularly like sort of light when it could have gone deeper in this podcast? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird podcast. Um, so I, I didn't quite get how the shaken baby thing fit in with everything else because it, it's it's a different like that seems like a theory about how kids can die. Whereas all this other stuff is you find evidence that's more sort of a theory that became popularized, which was wrong. Right. It's not like I can compare this to this and, and and draw a conclusion. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, that that whole thing, they basically made the same argument that people make about the satanic panic, but about shaken baby syndrome, right? I mean, it's the same basic thing. It's like you're losing control of kids in the way, sort of the traditional way that you'd always be there. And then you start to worry about what's happening when you're not and you're putting it in somebody else's care. Um, a lot of it seemed pretty basic. And I think they do kind of steer away from sort of these greater as you were saying, the, the different ways it impacts different populations more than others. I, maybe it came up a couple times, but for the most part, like I, I kind of, when I was listening to it, I was thinking, as we've been talking about, like, this is, this is too basic. People already know this, but then I don't remember when was making a murderer season two. Like was that like three, three years four ago? Four years ago. Yeah. Cause that whole thing was just basically this, right? It was, we were watching that lawyer do all the worst possible sort of forensic stuff and then saying this is what's going to prove Stephen Avery is innocent. And it's just like, well, none of this means anything. It, it quite honestly was hard to pay attention to at times just because I kind of felt like I knew what was coming once I got a sense of it. Like there's a certain repetition to the to the episodes. And if you already kind of know that that arson stuff, for instance, it's like a folk craft or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not, it's not science based. And there are a few people, I guess it's probably better now, but like even like 10 years ago, then she talks about it. It's like kind of this craft, which is handed along, but didn't start with like a strong scientific beginning. Yeah. So um, I sound very scattered uh, about <sighs> this, but it's because it I just had a hard time, like sort of grasping this show. And after a while I was just like, okay, so this time we're going to follow this same sort of course of events, but with a different kind uh, of evidence. And that's kind of the way it went. Well, and, and on the arson thing, Toby, I just want to say, I mean, the thing about that, that irritated me, because I've, you, you know, when I did defense investigations full time, I, I worked on arson cases. But I think what struck me about that was that both of the cases that they profiled had such actual legitimate explanations for the fire that were somehow like overlooked at the time. Like one was a space heater that wasn't working and one was together. Yeah. And the other was like, Oh, we burned candles and oil lamps (sighs) at night. And I'm like, and this didn't come up before now. How exactly? Like are you powder collection? (laughs) Are you even kidding me? Like I cannot tell you even when I was a journalist full time, how many fires started because of candles left burning. Like that's a common question. Like, so I think that was what sort of irritated me about the arson episode is that, yeah, they, they honed in on like, we think this is suspicious, but there was legitimate reasons for these fires that were not even like covered initially, which Mm. I'm like, like, what were you people doing? Yeah. 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 I don't know about, well, go ahead, Toby. Oh, I was just going to say, just sticking with the arson one real quick. I, when I was listening to that, I was like, is this about Cameron Todd Willingham? Because that was exactly, and if people don't know who he was, he was the guy who was executed in Texas when it was pretty clear that he was innocent because the arson investigators were so bad. And when they when they brought in a guy who was actually sort of a science-based arson investigator, he was like, no, it's a space heater. Like, we've, we see this all the time. This is 100% what it is. And I can't remember who was the governor at the time, but the governor of Texas, like, refused to even the governor was like no v pattern v pattern that means arson yeah <laughs> so alligatoring it's, that means arson it just means point of origin yeah. people <laughs> where the fire was hottest spill where it patterns, started spilling burns fastest <laughs> yeah i actually thought 
in my opinion, those were the two strongest episodes, one about shaken baby syndrome and arson investigation. I don't know about arson, but if you got money to burn, you should join us on Patreon. Oh, God. Oh, what oh, a transition, Kevin, Kevin, to our business section. I guess we can say that one is, what, like a 5.4? Not bad, right? Yeah, uh, it was pretty good. It wasn't a 10. Well, you didn't hand it off to him. He had nothing to work with. That's no. true. That's true. I'm a self-made Schiller. <laughs> All right. So what about going on our Patreon right now, Kevin? So one of the big things we got going on now is we're announcing a new Patreon level Ooh. where... And we'll be rolling this out later in the month. You can get all ad-free episodes of all the new episodes of Crime Writers On. We also threw in that these episodes will be business section free. Yes. So this stuff here, you don't have to listen to it. But mm. here's the thing. We're getting people saying... Controversy. They're saying, you know, I would still like the business section. <laughs> How will I know if I'm patron of the week? I know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently... This is entertainment. <laughs> because people who are on Patreon would rather hear us talk about the things they can get on Patreon. <laughs> well, other shit happens in the business section. It does. It does. It's content, Kevin. So right now we're going to have a poll question on our in our Facebook discussion group, which is about if you were to get into a, a higher Patreon level where you could get ad-free, would you want it to be ad-free with or without the business section? Mm, or should and, the business section maybe go on the end of the show so you can choose? Well, Rebecca, That's more I'm work not, for you. <laughs> when it comes to taking the business section out of this podcast, what I want to do is like a Civil War battlefield amputation style okay. edit Boom! <laughs> Just gone. Maybe in the middle of somebody's an, ex, an excising, excising okay. in out. No cauterization, nothing. Just like. Not trying to make more work for us. That's true. So you just want to, you want people to know you're going to put up a poll on Facebook that's like yes or no. Even if you're not even on Patreon, would you want the business section? Yes or no? That's right. Love that. Be spoilers. Get in there and mess up the. I love that. I love that. By the way, this was really spearheaded by one of our favorite listeners who sent several emails about it. Very like persuasively argued. We have emails. heard from more than one person. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, oh, well, okay. How will I know that's if it. I'm saying of the week? I don't know if that's what people want. You know, so <laughs> I think we I think we've heard that that's what people want. We've heard from like three people. <laughs> so I really just want to take a. But I'm not like. You know, we're going to be here shitting on, like, how poorly the science is in this stuff. Yeah. And we have zero data set That's true. Here. We need a so, data set. We need, we need a control group. Let me try to do that, okay? Yeah. yeah. This isn't the bite mark of Patreon levels, <laughs> That's right? right. That's right. We, we, need, we, need, some, we need some real spill pattern evidence. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So, but what we do have is that... You will get all those ad-free episodes. Plus, yep. you'll get all the other great stuff in Patreon, like the Crime Writers on After Show. Today, we're going to be talking, we're going to hear from Lara about, mm -hmm. what is this, Battle at Granny Village? Yes. All right, we're just going to uh, leave yeah. it there. Leave it there. It's it's spicy. Uh, also in your feed right now is you've got the latest Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Hell yeah. The book was called The Evidence of Things Not Seen by James Baldwin. Toby, uh, great discussion. Tell us briefly about it. Yeah, so this book was, I think it was Playboy asked James Baldwin to go to Atlanta to report on the uh, child murders, and he ends up with this, like, very short book-length essay, just kind of about, like, sort of the social and historical factors that he kind of feels led 
for there to be an opportunity for these murders to happen. Mm -hmm. So I talked about this with Ronald Young Jr. and uh, Marsha Chatlin. It was a great conversation. Um, great. I, I mostly listened, but I, 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 I feel I. The world was waiting for your hot takes on yeah. My my understanding of the book was was greatly greatly enhanced. Uh, I know that the people who are watching in the audience really liked it. So you know if you're if you're doing your free month or whatever and just want to get a taste of what the deep dive is like, that that's a pretty good place to start. I think. Mm-hmm. Also, but if you love Ronald Young Jr., be sure to download These Are Their Stories on yes. Wednesday. Yes, we freaked him out. Yeah. and He last, didn't like it. He didn't like it. He didn't like the episode that we made him watch. We found out Ronald's trigger. Uh-oh. Uh, also, yeah. Also, lastly, we have uh, a new episode of Leave It to Bricker coming out. Yeah. Lara is going, I don't know what, to the graveyard? No. So there has been a tombstone, a mysterious tombstone, gravestone discovered in the basement of my church. So we want to know, is there a body in the basement of the church? Where did it come from? I'm getting to the bottom of it. It came Uh. from hell, Laura. It came from hell. (laughs) But I, yeah, I have to go into the bowels of the church, the oldest church in the town of Exeter, dating back to 1638 to find out about the tombstone. Definitely came from hell. Yeah. But I'm just going to take a guess and say they're bones by now. <laughs> well, we, you know, we'll just find out. Uh, it's right. by now. All right. Well, all that great stuff, just go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Sign up for your level. You can also try us for free for 14 days. Wow. All right, Kevin, is that in the business section? Yeah, that ends the business section. All right, I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. So, Kevin, you had something you wanted to say about the arson episode, right? Yes, I well, but both the shaking baby syndrome and the arson episode, right? I think these were actually much more informative only because we really haven't had many podcasts in this realm, especially about the shaking baby part of it. Because, you know, if you were a parent, you know, in the past couple decades, this whole thing has been, you know, burned into your mind about you know, don't shake a baby because this, this is what's going to happen. And uh, obviously 
children can be abused a lot of ways. Uh, but the whole idea that you can shake them so hard that they, you know, that they would have this kind of whiplash and this kind of brain damage, the biophysics that they talk about, they explore in the podcast, I thought were really enlightening. There's just no possible way a human can shake a baby to get the same kind of injuries as like in a car accident. And they attached an accelerometer to the head and they just asked a group of volunteers to grip the dummy by its torso and shake it as hard as they could to see, you know, what the maximum head acceleration was that they could generate with their shaking. They found, unsurprisingly if you think about it, that the force created by a human shaking the baby model didn't even come close to the force created by a rear-end car collision. What ends up happening is that children sometimes do have brain damage or, 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 or an injury, but it just doesn't manifest itself to later. And it's almost like a time bomb because it's who's the child with at that moment. It's like a dry drowning. I don't want to say it's like the hot potato, but yeah, it could dry drown. You know, yeah. it's like whoever it could have, you know, ha- like you said, it could have happened on the playground two days ago. But then when it's in grandma's care or the neighbor's care, that's when the 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 signs exhibit and then it's just misdiagnosed. Yeah. Uh, and the same with the arson. I thought that that was really Interesting. Again, doesn't mean that arson doesn't happen, but to find out that there seem to be fewer unique characteristics of an arson, something that like doesn't also happen in certain house fires, because how about this for a control group? 3,000 houses burned by wildfire. All of which could have been arson. <laughs> All of, yeah, <laughs> apparently so. None of which were arson, yeah. but, but you know, you take these different things. I thought, that I thought was the strongest thing in the podcast. Yeah. You know which to me was the weakest thing in the podcast? What? The case they used in the blood spatter Agreed. episode. Agreed, yeah. So did the stain come from unbuckling Kimberly and staging the scene or trying to buckle her to drive away? What we know for certain is that the same blood stain can tell two completely different stories. There are two cases. There's a, co- a trooper who was accused of killing his family. There's blood spatter evidence. And then it was a, you know... He didn't do it, apparently. But then there's this other case where it seems to me to be a very strong potential family annihilation case where it could have been, you know, the blood spatter evidence could be he was trying to buckle his wife into the car to take her to the hospital or he was trying to reach over her to shoot the kids or whatever uh, after pulling over because she was on some medication and had a headache and then she shot the kids in the backseat or whatever. In my opinion, that was not the right case to use for this episode. We have so many well-known cases where blood spatter and blood pattern evidence was used or misused to convict somebody, including the fucking Michael Peterson case. Right, right. Because of a guy who, like, did fake tests with a sponge Mm -hmm. and a stick. Why use this case where, like, you have a potential family annihilator and it's, like, so sus whether or not he did it? Why use that case? I thought it was a poor one, too. It's convenient. It's convenient. I mean, the pattern is, as Toby pointed out, that it's you start with a case, then you talk about the bullshit science, then you bring in a second case where someone was freed, talk more about the bullshit science, and then go to the case where the person is still in jail. Right? That's the whole thing. And so in the blood spatter one, they needed somebody who's still in jail. But I I don't know about you guys. And we've heard this podcast. We've heard this story before in another podcast. I'm just not buying the guy's story 
at all that you know he was out of the car and that's when his wife chose tightening, chose to, tightening chose to shoot, yeah chose to shoot him non-fatally and then kill everybody in the car and herself and the deal is that the way the blood puddled under the seat is the somehow seat exculpatory the i seat just belts. I, I think there's a lot of stuff that's come out about that case since we listened i, I don't know it sounds like they're working towards an exoneration with him am but, i missing something though is that Chris Vaughn, yeah. I, I don't know. I can't. I, don't I mean, know. it's. I mean, I'm, I'm it's saying it's a bad. Like, to me, it's just a bad example. I don't know enough. Yeah. De- but they don't give enough details even about the case in the show that like, like make the listener think anything yeah, other than like. But I, I don't. This is, I think, one of the things with the with the show is that you don't go into enough depth to have much of a nuanced view of any of these things. Like, just it necessarily. Like in half an hour, they're looking at the history of a kind of forensic evidence in two cases and whatever else they're they're trying to do. So you can't really get into any of those cases. So you're kind of left with all these cases sort of necessarily hinging on this one piece of forensic evidence that they want to talk about. And so it's just like you don't you don't get a a broader picture, which I which I guess is fine because, you know, if you want to listen to a podcast about like going into depth on a certain crime, there's 10 zillion of them. So I I kind of like wasn't too concerned about that, but it is, you know, again, it's just the same thing again and again. And it seems clear to me at least that what the forensic stuff is good for is clearing people. Like it's, it's, it's good for eliminating people. It's really, really bad for identifying people. Uh And you know, if that could be the way it's used, it's just like, look, your your shoes are the wrong size, so you're you know uh-huh. you can go or or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I I don't think bite I don't think bite mark evidence is good for anything, but some of these other things, I, I think you can eliminate people. Uh, yeah, the idea that you would put somebody in jail for a long time or put them to death based on this bullshit is horrifying. But then when you know about how bad people's memories are and recall and an eyewitness testimony, how bad that is, you're kind of left with like. What do you trust, like, in a court of law? That was my question, Toby, is, is like, at the end of this, like, the piece that's missing for me in this podcast is, if all this is not reliable, like you said, eyewitness testimony and memory and all this stuff, like, what do we rely on? Like, we've got to rely on something. And I feel like that's the piece that's missing in, like, I need the other side of this at some point to counterbalance all of the episodes we've heard so far. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they don't say how evidence should be used or what evidence is reliable or, you yes. know what I mean? Exactly. So I'm like, basically, no one's ever going to be convicted because it's all junk. Well, or or they don't say, like, what a good application of this, potent, you know, what can a fingerprint be? be used like what could what is there a blood spatter thing that is useful well i think they did that with ballistics where they talk about like it would be great if the standard is we can tell you it came from this type of gun but not go so far as say it came from only this gun right because the manufacturer similarities and stuff like that all those pattern uh, forensics ends up being as they say, not about science at all, not about any sort of control group, but but about Hubris. it's a craft. Yeah. You're saying, oh, well, this and this. The thing that like totally sold me on bite marks 
And I think I'm trying to remember uh, where we either I read this when one of Toby's deep dive books or it might have been in one of the one of the documentaries we saw. But about bite marks is where they gave the same samples to like every forensic on on odontologist in the group. And they asked them to identify, you know, match this and like two thirds of the, like there was never any agreement. A third said this was this, said it matched. Some of them couldn't even say whether it was human or not. I'm yeah. like, that's not science. Nope. Science is like if you take a blood sample and you can say this person is a type A secretor, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's, all the scientists are going to get that. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's fucking magic. It's voodoo. Yeah. Toby, you have a great note about how terminology is used mm-hmm. in these cases, like reasonable scientific certainty. Yeah. So when I heard that, it seemed a little bit like student athlete to me. (laughs) And that student athlete was kind of created initially as a way of trying to, uh, for universities to not uh, be liable for injuries that happen to athletes when they were playing for college, college sports. So they called them student athletes because then they were students and and it could be regarded that Mm -hmm. way. And I guess there was just a different kind of liability around that. Like this is a long time ago. So it just seems like reasonable scientific certainty, like, first of all, like almost none of this stuff is actually science based. So that's like right off the bat, like one of those words doesn't even belong there. But yeah, it just seems like you're hiding a whole lot of bullshit behind a term that seems as though you're being sort of qualified, but measured. You know, I'm not saying it definitely is. I'm just saying it's with a reasonable scientific certainty, but behind that reasonable science Scientific certainty is just not a whole lot. So, um, yeah, I, it just it, it's a great it's a great phrase which I'm going to now use with my kids as much as I possibly can. <laughs> I just want to the the one thing I did want to say is that I think people just want proof, right? They want something certain that they can be like, "Yep, see, right there." And I think you know DNA to a certain extent can do that, although that gets super complicated too. But in addressing what Laura said. I mean, I think for most cases, it's got to be, it's like this accumulation of stuff. Like you can't just look at one thing and say, oh, that proves it. Or, oh, this proves it. It's like, you're looking at a whole bunch of things. That's why some trials take so long. And you're saying, well, when you put together this eyewitness stuff and, you know, some like more reliable forensic stuff and, and all these other stuff, and you put it all together, does it make it look like this person's guilty or, or innocent? You know, I think there's this desire to be like, if you check this box, he's guilty. And if you don't check it, he's innocent. And it's all based on, you know, the his sneakers because he stepped on a pebble three years ago. And there's no way any other shoe could have a track that's exactly like that. So anyway, that's kind of what I what I walked away from all this with. Yeah, you know what the big problem with CSI sort of in the, in the courtroom actually is, is that prosecutors will say that juries just want to see the DNA for like every kind of crime. Right. Then that's like a whole other thing. It's all about the science. This is really cut in both ways. Right. You can say like this is great science, but not science at all because it has the credibility of being labeled science. And then everybody wants to see, oh, the science is great. Show me the DNA profile of the person that broke into my car. You know, it's like they have a hard time getting convictions sometimes for people who are guilty, but there's no DNA. And then there wouldn't be DNA for, you know, some of these, you know, sm- you know, anything less than a murder. I call bullshit on that, too, though, 
because juries will also convict people just because people are on trial. And yeah, prosecutors sure. yeah. can just make up a story or tell a story and evidence like with nothing, with just like, you know, he seems like he could have done it and like come up with a quote theory of the case, the state's quote theory of the case, the quote spine of the story. There's fucking no evidence that Anasai had killed Heyman Lee, and he was in prison for 23 years, right? Uh, Jason Carroll and Bearbrook, zero evidence except for coerced oh, no, there confession. Was, there was cell tower info. No. Right? Fake, There's a science. science. There's a bad science. All right. Yeah. All right. Pro- point proven. Point proven. You know what they need to do a, a podcast about? Like, I feel the, I feel the piece that, that, that's missing right now is that nobody's done, like, a podcast on juries. And like the psychology of juries mm-hmm. in different places and with different kinds of defendants. Because mm-hmm. I certainly have been on juries where the psychology around their perception of the defendant is quite strong just from the very beginning. And sometimes it's been guilty and sometimes it's been innocent and, and not in ways that you necessarily would have predicted. So anyway, whoever's out there who wants to do a podcast like that, I would listen. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Mientras crecíamos, vimos a nuestros papás siempre ordenando la casa. Now that we have our own, entendemos la importancia de mantener una casa limpia y ordenada. One that makes you proud. Por eso puedes contar con IKEA. IKEA knows that having a place for everything makes it much easier to maintain a happy home and your peace of mind. When you shop at IKEA, cada dólar rinde más. Visit your nearest IKEA store to find the best storage solutions para tu hogar. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out CSI on trial? It's a new podcast. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? Um, I, I disliked this podcast. And it, it wasn't that they didn't have good sources and good information and did a lot of research. It was just, to me, really boring because it felt like a primer for people that were either in like criminology class in college or people that haven't been following crime at all. And I think for our audience, most of our listeners are already well aware of all of these type of issues. And it just, it didn't feel like it had any personality in the way it was delivered. I just like, honestly, couldn't wait for it to be done. So unfortunately, this is a thumbs down for me. (sighs) Couldn't wait for it to be done. Tony Ball, (laughs) what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for CSI on trial? Yeah, I, this is a, a little bit of a difficult one for me because I think the topic is important, but I think for our listeners, you've probably gotten a lot of this stuff. Like, I don't think 
anybody's going to be super surprised at this point that blood spatter evidence is not reliable or, you know, arson investigations are, are pretty bad. I hadn't really heard the whole thing about the footprints, but I didn't realize people were being put away for a long time based on their footprints. So that being said, I think for people who have watched a lot of the CSI stuff on TV and have a lot of confidence in these techniques, I think this is a really important podcast for them to listen to because it exposes it for what it is. So uh, that being said, I don't know how you even that out. So I guess I'll say I'm a thumb sideways in that. I think like there's definitely an audience for this. I just don't know if it's necessarily our audience who have probably listened to and gotten this information before in sort of more nuanced shows. So I'm a thumb sideways. Kevin Flynn. I'm also a thumb sideways. I I think the, the topic is important. You know, usually in a podcast, you don't jump around from, you know, major topic to major topic between episodes. It's very much sort of a TV series convention. An anthology. An anthology, right? It doesn't happen all that often. I... I agree that this is an important issue and that there is an audience there that needs to be exposed to it. So I think that perhaps it was, you know, probably more impact with the TV series. I have not seen that, but it just sort of seems that's the place for it. Now, I can't give it a thumbs down because I think that the interviews that were done and the way that, you know, the case was put together to argue about this, I think it was done fine. But as far as like, like, is this you know, smooth listening. Is this, you know, something that like kept me intrigued from episode to episode? Perhaps not. So I can't turn it, you know, I can't say don't listen to it, but I'd say that it's not great. Listen, if this were five years ago, I'd probably give this like a mild thumbs up or a thumbs up, but this is not five years ago. This is 2023. (laughs) And this just feels so old to me it just felt like literally this is a podcast that came out like in 2015 2017 and like i've just listened to it now and like this is the thing that's like ooh. the other thing about this podcast it's just so uncreatively produced it's csi on trial and there's no csi in it except for one mention of the tv show at the very beginning like wouldn't a much more creative way to produce this podcast be to like use the tv show as like a a framework or use the conventions of the TV show as a framework or use the formatics of, you know, do something with that or use, I don't know, a trial format. If you're going to use that, that, you know, title anyway. Uh, I think at one point she said the S and CSI stood for science. It's like, no, no, it stands for scene. Exactly. Exactly. Crime scene investigation. Uh, I don't know. I just, it, 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 it did not go into any real depth about bigger sort of societal implications. Some of the conclusions that it drew um, sort of broadly about the causes of things just seemed to me just very, very surface. Um, And, you know, the sort of the absence of analysis about racial disparity, stuff like that just really was glaring to me. And the the writing itself just felt very like stilted in a way. Um, Although I will say this podcast is useful Insofar as if you have somebody in your life who has just no awareness of these issues, like this is a podcast I would share with them. So in that way, it's useful. So I'm not going to say it's altogether like shouldn't exist. I just can't give it a thumbs up. So I'm giving this podcast a thumbs down. All right. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. A little something I like to call the crime Crime of, of the week. The crime of the week. 
Police in Pleasant Hill, Missouri, have arrested an elderly woman accused of robbing a bank for the second time. Last week, 78-year-old Bonnie Gooch allegedly entered the bank wearing sunglasses and an N95 mask and slipped the teller a note asking for $13,000. The note also said, thank you, sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. She then drove away in her Buick Enclave with handicap plates. Gooch had been arrested in 2020 for sticking up another bank. Wearing a black wig and armed with a BB gun, she held up the teller at the drive through window. That time, she handed the teller a birthday card with, quote, this is a robbery written inside of it. She received probation in the first case. She's now in jail awaiting a $25,000 bond. So, panel, it's not every day that we see a 78-year-old bank robber. Why aren't there more elderly criminals? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Because um, they're getting to the early bird special at the restaurants in the afternoon, and they've got to get ready for that. It's oh, not a bad point. Toby Ball, why don't you think there are more elderly criminals like this lady who's robbing banks? Hard to get the scooters out the door. <laughs> Kevin, what do you think? Headlights are too bright at night. I think it's because they're all out there umpiring baseball games. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry, Kevin. <laughs> You're gone. <laughs> all right, Laura Bricker. If folks want to reach out to you and say, hey, Laura Bricker on social media, how can they find you there? They can find me at Laura Bricker. Tell me about what about you? How can you be found if folks want to see your wonderful face and all of your cynical facial expressions? Uh, at Toby Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, how can you be found online? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, perhaps give me a contrary view of my opinion of any podcast we talk about. You can find me at Reb Lavoy. And they do. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And please join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the crime writers on after show. You get married with podcast. You get Laura Bricker's leave it to Bricker podcast and Toby Ball's deep dive book club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement filled with space heaters that all meet safety regulations. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Yeah, later. Yeah. Toby, you have a great note. Go ahead, Toby. uh, No, you go. No, you say what you're going to say. If I have a great note, I want to hear it. Toby, uh, you yeah, it? I do too.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.